Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We ask once again that you would help us, that you would work in our lives, that we may worship you the Bible way. We ask that this time would be well spent this morning. The Holy Spirit would have freedom to talk and to do business in each heart and soul here. Lord, of course, our greatest prayer is if there be one here that is unsaved, that today would be the day of salvation in their lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Nine. John chapter 9. And as the song spoke about this morning, our life is but a moment compared to eternity. And yet we spend every bit of effort living for this moment. And sometimes very little time and effort is gone into preparing for eternity. If somehow we could just step back and look at what really counts and what things are really going to be important, it would change the way we live our lives. I guess I hear this probably more often than any time that I've ever heard this before is life is so complicated. How many of you have ever said that? And uh, everything is just so complex, and, and uh, the simple answers of yesterday are no good for today. And, you know, that's just simply not true. Uh, we have a lot of financial trouble going on. There's one simple rule. If you spend more than you make, you're going to be in trouble. Isn't that the rule? You remember when your mama taught you that when you were just little? When you took your dime, well, I don't know. Does anybody remember when you could buy candy bar for a dime? I'm talking about the big ones. Yeah, okay, a few of us do. And and uh, you look at the really big one and, no, you don't have enough money. And it wasn't that my parents couldn't have given me that money. I mean, we were certainly not well-to-do, but... They, they wanted to teach me something, that what you think you want right now doesn't always accomplish what you think it was, would. How many of you ever have had all the chocolate you wanted to eat at one time? And what happened? I mean, you had to wash the sheets at night and the bed pillows and everything. Isn't that what happens when you finally get everything you want all at one time? It makes you sick, doesn't it? Now, what God is doing is He is withholding certain things from us right now because if He gave us everything, we wouldn't understand it. And there's one word that defines what's going to go on in heaven for all eternity. That's a word that we use often. You you can't pick up a, a, a Christian newspaper. You can't read the Sword of the Lord. You can't listen to Christian radio. Uh, not that I really recommend that or turn on TBN, and I really don't recommend that. But uh, if you should do these things, what you're going to hear is you're going to hear a lot about the word Worship, aren't you? I mean, it is the catchword of our day. 
the Bible college that I attended, not to be too critical, but to, to be critical of it, because some things deserve to be criticized, uh, they no longer teach music directors. Like we have Brother Franz coming up here and, and leading the music, and Brother Dave fills in on occasion. We're working on uh, that. They, they train worship teams. Now, here's what a worship team does different than a music director. See, you get a mixed group of guys and girls, and they get up here on, on the platform, and they sing the songs, and they sway in time to the songs, and everybody's supposed to follow that, and that's called worship. But let me ask you a question. Where is your attention drawn? It's drawn to the people who are on stage swinging back and forth to the beat of the music. That's why we don't have music with a beat here. Because we don't want our attention being taken away from the words and put on anything else. We don't want someone coming in this church and, wow, this is just like it was in the club, only Jesus' words. We don't want that kind of atmosphere because that doesn't help worship. I've had preachers say, tell me, listen, you don't understand. I said, you're just too old-fashioned. You've got to meet people wherever they are. People like Broadway. And if you'll bring a little Broadway into your church, people will come. And I said, you don't understand. I can get on the end train and I can be at the real Broadway in 15 minutes. And there's no way that we can do here in this building what they do over there. You can't out-Broadway Broadway. You can get away with it in Texas. Because they don't know what it is. They think that slop that's on the stage and things out of tune a little bit and uh, you cover it all up with one of those. They got a piece of equipment now that you can put everybody's voice in and it straightens it all out. It takes care of all the, and makes everybody sound perfect. Actually, believe it or not, they, they've got that kind of equipment today. And you just put some people up there. And, and I promise you the people that perform in the churches would never make it on Broadway. Because every one of them that are good enough to make it on Broadway, guess where they are? They're on Broadway. Because churches don't pay big bucks like they do over there. And you say, you, you're just, you're making a generalization. Yes, I am. But you look at Amy Grant. First time she was given opportunity to sing a dirty, dirty worldly love song. She did it, made a lot of money, and she's one of the cleanest of the contemporary Christian music musicians that are out there today. Her song was called, The Next Time I Fall in Love, It'll Be With You. She's not talking about holding hands for a walk in the park. She's talking about things the Bible calls sin. That's not worship, my friend. And God doesn't want worship that today is respectable in church and tomorrow is acceptable with the world 
who doesn't believe a thing about the Bible. We need to redefine this word called worship and put it within its biblical context. In John chapter 9 is the story of a blind man that was healed by Jesus. And as we go through this story today, I I want to warn you, when Jesus gave the blind man his sight, that was not the pinnacle of the story. If you've read this chapter, if you know this chapter well, you'll know that after this man received his sight, he then was examined by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the priests, the council at Jerusalem that was in charge of the religion and the worship at the temple, examined this man thoroughly, and this blind man confounded the most wise and educated religious men of his day. And by the way, these men studied the Bible. You say, that's got to be the height of the story, right? How Jesus gave him sight and he confounded the people who don't believe the Bible properly. No, that's not the pinnacle of the story. How many of you know what the pinnacle of the story was? Skip down to verse 35. John chapter 9. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Now, what they had done was these religious leaders had removed him from temple worship. Jesus, this man, this blind man who had received his sight, would never be allowed in the temple again. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. They had barred him from ever entering the temple again. It says, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Here's the pinnacle of the story. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Don't allow anyone to tell you that Jesus never claimed to be the eternal God of the Bible. That's what Jesus did right here. He accepted worship. How many of you remember the first of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What was the second one? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. What was the next one? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Isn't it interesting? Oh, and uh, the next one? Keeping of the Sabbath day. Four. Of the Ten Commandments, all the first four all dealt with God, His name, and His holiness. The Sabbath was not a day of worship. That's a Protestant concoction of the late 1600s, early 1700s, 
where they believe that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. That is not true. Every day is the Sabbath to the Bible-believing Christian because the Sabbath is the day of... Somebody said it. Say it out loud. It's a day of rest. Sabbath is the day of rest. Real worship is hard work. How many of you have ever really prayed and earnestly prayed? You've had a burden of your heart. God allowed something to come into your life that just consumed your soul and you poured out your heart to God in prayer. Let me tell you, that kind of prayer will wear you out physically. That's worship. How many of you have ever wrestled with yourself to get yourself out of the way so you could obey God? That is worship. That is work. We are to worship God the way we live each and every day. What would happen where you work if your main goal while you were at work were to worship God rather than to fill in the blank? Just please the boss. Just get another paycheck. Just put my time in. Make money for the company. Whatever the the goal you might... What if your main goal in doing what you do is work was to say, hey, wait a minute, God has given me this job and I can use this job to pay my bills to make a good testimony for the Lord. Can you have a good testimony for God if you don't pay your bills? Absolutely not. If, if you don't work and you don't pay your bills... Are you going to tithe? No. You got to work and get a paycheck to get tithe. Amen. And giving to missions and all of these things. What if we re-understood how our work environment should be and thank God for the job? Now, there's some jobs you can't thank God for, okay? If you're a bartender, guess what? Get another job. There are some jobs that God's not going to bless because they're going to draw you closer to the world and closer to things that aren't God. I, I met a guy one time. He said, well, I'm, a, uh, I'm one of those singers. I, I sing on the cruise ships and I sing in Broadway whenever they let me. And I, I sing all these places and I sing in the clubs and I'm a, I'm a great singer. And he said, but we can't use your church. Why not? I'll sing for you. You, you. you hear me. You'll love my singing. I said, I'm sure I will. But if that's where you're singing, we don't want that singing in the church. Because that's not worship to God. God doesn't use your talents to worship Him. God wants to give you His ability to serve you. And then that ability that he gives you will worship him. 
God gets more glory when people look and they say, look at that person. They have no talent, they have no ability, and yet God is doing this in their lives. I've tried to give my testimony here. In fact, we had Dr. Smith come in, and and some of you may remember this, and every time I tell it, I get these snickers and and people look at me. But when I was in high school, people said, oh, you must have been just like Peter. No, I was nothing like Peter when I was in high school. I was shy. I was quiet. If I were to play my saxophone in front of somebody, my hands would shake so bad. If I didn't have the neck strap held tight, I'd drop my horn. That's the way I was in high school. In fact, Dr. Smith said, uh, some of you remember this, he said, we never thought shy little Pete Montoro would ever do anything like this. Well, it's because it's not shy little Pete Montoro that was doing it. It's because it's the Lord's doing The abilities that God gives us are what we are to use to worship Him. Now, we're getting ahead a little bit here in the sermon. But we've got to understand something. God has given us a life. He's given us a moment. If you're fortunate and and have what we would call a good life and a, and a long life, you may live 75, 80 years. You might live to be 100. Somebody said, I know how to get to be 100 years old. I said, how do you do that? He said, get to 99 and then be very, very careful. Don't think it's going to work. But listen, let's go back to verse 1 of John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents? That he was born blind. Now, before we get too critical, and I mean, boy, you talk about a dumb question. There, there was a dumb question. How could this man sin before he was born? Uh, I guess Calvin wasn't the first Calvinist. I don't know, but how could this man sin before he was born? And. Is God, the God of the Bible, a God that sits up in heaven and watches for you to step out of line so he can destroy your kids because of what you've done? Let me tell you, that God is not the God of this book called the Bible. And God was using this blind man to open the eyes of all around him and help each one of them, including the blind man, see some things. And my prayer today is that we'll be able to see some things that the blind man saw. Now, uh, uh, bear with me. Let's go back to the end of the chapter, and then we'll go back and work our way all the way through. In verse 38, the blind man, who now had his sight, worshipped Jesus. And here is Jesus' response to him in verse 39. And Jesus said, For worship... 
I am come into this world. Is that what your Bible says? If it does, you got the wrong one. Amen. Jesus' answer to this man's worship was, for judgment, I am come into this world. Now, doesn't that sound like a strange response to worship? No. It's God's response to worship. See, God's not going to just accept something because you think he ought to. May I give you a little illustration? The littler children see their older brothers and sisters learning how to cook and make things. And normally when mom makes biscuits or cake, uh, pie dough or any of those things, there's a little bit left over. And so she cuts it off and she gives it to Esther or or Philip, you can't give it to Joey because he'd just eat it raw and that wouldn't be good. And they'll take that little piece of dough and they'll, they'll knead it. And, and, and by the way, if you want good biscuits, I don't know this by experience because I can't make good biscuits. My wife does. If you knead and work your dough too much, the biscuits are hard. You work the dough the least amount that you need to, and your biscuits will be fluffy and light. Well, what does little Esther do when she gets that biscuit dough? I mean, <laughs> and I mean, she, I mean, she turns that thing into a piece of rubber. And then she gets tired of messing with it, and so she get out a cookie cutter and cut it into some. Mommy, will you bake this one for me? Okay. So mommy puts it in the oven. Mommy, would you like a piece? No, that's okay. Is it going to be good? No. It's not going to be good. In, in fact, it's probably got little pieces of whatever was on the counter or may have happened to fall on the floor a couple of times, but you know the 30-second rule, as long as you get it quick, it's okay. Now, everybody's sitting there going, hmm. But do we not sometimes do the same thing with God? He gives us commands from His Word. And what do we do? <clears throat> That's hard to do, Lord. Can we can we mold it just a little bit? Whoops! I, I dropped it on the floor. We'll, we'll dust it off and pull the hairs out, and uh, we'll put it back on there. And God doesn't want the best we can give Him. Let me tell you, you can have the most sincere heart. And, and little Esther, little Philip, I mean, they are sincere in their offering to you that little cake. But I'll warn you, if they somehow sneak one downstairs and say, I made this, don't eat it, all right? 
And if we do the same thing with our worship, why would God be pleased with it? Worship takes work. But the work that it takes is not work that you and I can exude. It does not come from us. Now, Jesus said, for judgment am I come into this world. He said, I want you to understand that worship and judgment are connected inextricably. You cannot separate the two. You have to have both in order to have worship that God will accept. And in verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see. And that they which see might be made blind. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time on those two phrases. They that which see not might see. The gift of sight is one of the most precious gifts that we have. Could you imagine what it would be like going through life not knowing what colors are. Not knowing what a sunrise looks like or a sunset. Not being able to read the emotion and the feelings in the face of a loved one. Those are the things that happen when we are blind. This man was born blind. We don't know what happened. The Bible does not tell us. But we do know that he was born blind on purpose. Look with me at verse 2. I mean, verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Jesus said, Listen, God had a plan for this man. And in that plan, God had this man that he would be born blind, that his eyes would never see until he was a grown man. They did not have social programs and special workshops and Braille and and all of these things that we have for the blind today. He was to beg for his living. If people did not give him out of their own goodness... He went without. And so this man was born blind. And he comes in verse 6, And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool Siloam, which is by interpretation sent, And he went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, said they, which had before seen him that was seeing him that he was blind, said, "Is this is not this he that sat by? I'm sorry. Is this not he that sat and begged? And some said, This is he, and others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. 
Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes open? And he said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received my sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. Now, one thing you did not have to explain to the blind man in this story was what it was to be blind and now to see. Could you imagine having been shrouded in darkness all of your life and then all of a sudden to be able to see other human beings, to see the clouds in the sky for the first time, To see the sun and trees and plants and flowers. No one had to explain to this man what it was to be blind. He knew all about that. No one had to tell him the joys of seeing. He was enjoying that. But he was quickly surrounded by this group of people. And they said, who are you? He said, I'm the blind man, but I can see now. Well, you look like the blind man. I am the blind man. They can't be the blind man. It's got to be somebody else. No, I am. And finally, they bring him to the Pharisees. And they say, this guy was blind and now he sees. And the Pharisees begin to question him. And they finally... Look at verse 18. But the Jews, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. Can you imagine these people? Here's a group of people saying, listen, this is a blind man. These Pharisees, many of them had given to this very man when he was blind, and yet they couldn't recognize him because he's seen. And he said, listen, I was blind. I was that blind man, but now I see. They said, we don't believe you. We're going to call you a liar, is what they were doing. And so they brought his parents in. They said, is this your son? They said, that's our son. For the first time, in the middle of this inquisition, he was able to see his mother and father. But you know what he really saw? He saw their fear was more tuned to what man would do than to what God could do. Because when they asked him, how does he now see? Look at verse 20 here. And his parents answered them and said, "We, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, by, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he is of age. Ask him. 
If you're going to see clearly, you're going to have to realize that no one else can see for you. God has given us parents to help us. Amen? And if you had parents that love the Lord, they are a special gift from God to help you see what you need to see. But, if you will not see God on your own, all the prayers of your parents are in vain. The blind man saw that all of the things that had gone on, all the care he had been given, wouldn't get him one step closer to God. In order to get to God, he had to see Jesus for who he is. All by himself. You can't get saved because you come to church. You have to get saved by yourself between you and God alone. You can't be born a Christian. You can be born into a Christian family, but you can't be born a Christian until you're born again into God's family. It's that simple. There must be a day, there must be a time when you by yourself recognize Jesus Christ for who He is, the very God of gods, and put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone. That's when you are saved. It's that simple. But guess what the blind man was about to see? He was about to see the blindness of the Pharisees and the religious leaders all about him, wasn't he? He had already been interrogated by these people. He had already told them what was going on. And so they continue asking him questions. And, in, and look at verse 27. He answered them. This is a blind man speaking. I have told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore, would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Now, let me tell you, a blind man could not see to read the Word of God. The only knowledge of the Scriptures this blind man would have is what he may or may not have heard at the Jewish feast. He had no way of knowing God's Word. But he had already met Jesus. And he was beginning to see that even though all of these things were placed clearly in front of the Pharisees for them to see, that they could not perceive or understand anything about this person named Jesus. Let's go down to verse 32. Actually, verse 31, it says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Do you get this? 
the blind man began to realize that there was no future for him in the traditional worship of his fathers and his mother and his parents and his grandparents. He said, here is something that you cannot speak against. Apparently, he knew enough about the Bible to know that there were many miracles in the Old Testament. In fact, we're going through the life of Elisha, and we're reading the miracles that were there. He blinded the whole army of Syria and took them down to the city of Samaria and had them open their eyes in the city of Samaria and then led them home without them causing any trouble in the land of Israel. But he knew enough about the Bible to say there's never a miracle recorded in the Bible that somebody who was born blind, born without sight, received their, without eyes, had received their sight. He said, Jesus just did that for me. That ought to be enough proof for you that this man named Jesus is a great prophet or a servant of God. Now, I want to challenge you for a moment. Will believing that Jesus is a great prophet, a great teacher, a great miracle worker, a great preacher, will that get you to heaven? What do you think? Absolutely not. In order to get to heaven, you must recognize Jesus as the Son of God and God the Son. The blind man knew what it was to be blind. He knew what it was to see with his physical eyes. He had to learn an awful lot of things in a hurry. That those people that had their sight all their lives were not seeing things nearly as clear as the blind man who had just received his sight. His own parents were more afraid of men and the wrath of man than they were of God. These great religious doctors who he had been told all his life to revere and to listen to had just cut him off from the temple and said, you will never enter the temple again. You will never offer another sacrifice here. You are cut off from Israel. You are no longer a Jewish man. That's what they did to him. And Jesus went and found them. And Jesus only had one question. You believe on the Son of God? He said, who is he, Lord? And Jesus said, it is I. And what did he do? He fell down on the ground at Jesus' feet and he worshipped him. The blind man finally saw the truth. And Jesus said, for judgment, am I come into this world? Because there's a lot of people that think they see, but they're blind. Did you read the last verse of that chapter? Well, let's read the last two, I'm sorry. And some of the Pharisees which were with him. Now, you have to understand that these Pharisees were not all of one mind and one voice. They were a large group. They made up about... 10 or 20% of the population, they controlled everything that went on in Jewish life. 
And there was many of them that believed on Jesus. And they were following him and they, they were willing to accept Jesus as that prophet and that great teacher. And they had a question. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and they said, and said unto him, Are we blind also? Now, could I ask you a question? If you had to ask as to whether you were blind or not, would you have problems? I mean, if you made an appointment with the doctor and said, Doctor, I, I need my eyes examined. I can't tell whether I'm blind or not. You know what he would do? He said, I don't think you need an eye doctor. I think you need another kind of doctor. Uh, could I refer you to a different kind of doctor? Because you ought to be able to know whether you can see or not. And yet we live in a world of confusion where people do not know and cannot know whether they see or not. How many times do you remember your teacher asking you, do you see it? And you said, see what? How to solve polynomial equations. That's what I want you to see. No, I don't see it. Here's what Jesus said. He said, for judgment, I'm coming to the world. Point number one, that they which see not might see. Point number two, that they which see might be made blind. Doesn't that sound harsh? You want to know why all of this stuff goes on for worship today and is called worship and isn't? It's because for judgment am I come into the world so that the blind can see and those that see are going to be made blind. And what was the question the Pharisees asked? They said, Jesus, are we blind also? I got a pretty good idea, according to what you believe, that you think I'm blind. But I want to argue that point. And Jesus said in verse 41, he said, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say we see. Therefore your sin remaineth. He said, you think you're righteous. You think you understand the Word of God. You think that by the things that you've done and all that you have lived, that you're going to somehow be pleasing to God, and I want to tell you that your sin still remains. Not until you're willing to admit that you're blind 
can you see? How many of you remember the first time you got glasses? I mean, if you if you have glasses, you'll, you'll remember that first time the whole world finally came into focus. I remember riding home. I was in fifth grade. I remember riding home with my new glasses on. They were the ugliest things you ever saw in your life. Big black plastic glasses. But I'll tell you what, I love them things. Because I could see. There were houses on those hills. There were words on the signs. All of a sudden, what the teacher was writing on the chalkboard made sense. Before it was just a green, big green thing with little white smears on it. But you know, if I refused to go to the eye doctor and wear the glasses, I would still not see. And until you're willing to put on the glasses that God has for you, until you're willing to look into the mirror of this word and admit that you cannot save yourself, you cannot have Bible salvation, until you're willing to admit your blindness, you will never see. It's interesting that those that are blind will come to Jesus. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The hardest thing in the world is to witness to somebody who thinks they're good enough to please God. It breaks my heart every time somebody walks by. Oh, I'm okay. I don't need that track as we're passing them out. Okay is not good enough to get you to heaven. Only if you're willing to admit your blindness will you get sight from the Savior. You know what? There's many applications to this in every part of our life. If you're tired of struggling trying to figure things out, ask the Savior to take care of it for you. How many of you have tried to solve life's problems only to make the mess bigger and more complex, more ridiculous? Could you go to the master ophthalmologist and say, I'm blind, I cannot see. You know what? He'll straighten that problem out at work. And it will involve this word called worship. Because worship is connected to judgment. And when we do right for the right reasons, you know the verse. But seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God and his what? His righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. All things that pertain unto life and godliness are given through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. That's Second Peter chapter 1. 
You have all things. That means you don't need anything else. You got problems with guilt. You got problems with just dealing with life. Um, Go to God and get an eye exam. You have problems understanding what is right and wrong. Ask God for an eye exam. By the way, we'll end with this. Let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation, chapter 3. Jesus is talking to one of his churches. In verse 15... He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor. What's the next word? And blind. And naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Then some of the best known words in all the Bible Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That promise is to the church at Laodicea. The church that makes God sick. You know why it makes God sick? Because the church is supposed to produce worship in the lives of the believers That is acceptable to God. And when that worship is not produced, there ought to be mourning and weeping in the church that what we are doing does not please our Savior. And yet, I dare say that most of us did not give one thought to the trials and difficulties that we faced this past week how that God may use them to build our worship towards Him. We need an eye exam. We need to refocus on what is important to God. Because He wants and deserves our worship. And all God's people said, Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we have looked at serious things this morning in your word. We are coming to the time we call the time of invitation where we invite people to make decisions based upon those words. Lord, I pray for those that are here today and 
have yet to make a public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, they may be saved, but they're not willing to tell anybody. They're not going to join the church. They're not going to give any kind of public credit to what you've done. Lord, we ask that you would allow them to see that they need to be obedient to your word. Lord, we pray for those that are sitting here today and are unsaved. And some of them may just be as those Pharisees were. Are, are we blind also? Are, are you trying to say that I'm not saved because I go to church and because I do good things? And the answer is absolutely true. You, you cannot be saved by anything you do. Lord, we pray that you would open these eyes. Lord, we pray that you would take the eyes of each Christian here today. If we were to bring us up one by one, there's not a soul here in this auditorium that could not give us a list of trials and difficulties and things that are happening in their life that are adverse and against them. Lord, it's just part of the times in which we live. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to readjust our eyesight to let us see each of these things as a gift from you. To bring us into a clearer and better understanding of who you are and how to worship you. Lord, the last mention this morning is for those that sit here and are not saved that you would let them see the need of a Savior and the need to surrender their lives completely to you and to just simply believe on the Son of God. Nothing else. Nothing less. We ask you to work during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.